Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Uh, mental health is a subject that has been highlighted more than ever, I suppose, over the last number of months due to the ongoing situation that, of course, we all find ourselves in. And it's a subject that Conor Nolan has written about in a new book called Normal. And I want to speak to Conor Nolan now. Delighted to have you on the show today. Afternoon to you, Conor. Hello, how are you? Not too bad. You're 21 years of age. I am indeed. Good stuff. Not that that matters a huge amount, but it's unusual, I suppose, to hear 21-year-olds writing books uh, of, of such uh, seriousness and significance for people because a lot of people going through uh, struggles at the moment, Connor, and you have had your own struggles in your life and you've decided to write this book about, I assume, your struggles from teenage years, yeah? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Uh, take, take, take us back then a little bit, Connor. Um, how did all this sort of begin for you and, and at what age? So my idea for, um, for writing the book, I suppose, started about, um, about two or two and a half years ago. I went through, it was a, a dark spell of my own. I was having a very uh, difficult battle uh, with depression. And uh, I found myself in a very dark place. And what I did was I began to turn to friends of mine. I began to you know, open up to them. Mm-hmm. What I noticed was this sort of like a, a domino effect, like a pattern. Um, when I opened up to friends of mine, they would, you know, in turn, open up to me. I noticed this, this happened many times over the course of many conversations. I noticed that all it takes is for one person in the room to start talking and it becomes like, a, like an icebreaker. Okay, yeah. This, this happened for me over a couple of months. And then after about six months, it was, it was Christmas time and I was having a conversation with a friend of mine in a, in a nightclub and uh, he told me some things from his past that really um, struck home for me. And I realised, I said to myself, you know, I would love to have one of these conversations, you know, with a million people, but of course that's not possible. But I said, you know what, I can write about it. So I was standing in a nightclub with a drink in my hand and I said, mm-hmm. you know what, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a book. And that was where, this, where the idea came from. That's brilliant. I, I, I love it. And, and it's something that's said all the time is to, you know, pick up the phone, talk to somebody. And uh, generally, in, in, your, in your experience, not only might those people help you greatly, those people might also share their own experiences. Because be it very serious or mild or whatever, everybody experiences some sort of mental health trauma in their lives uh, or anxiety or depression or something um, along those lines. Do you believe, Cotter, that there is, uh, to a degree, a, a stigma around mental health still or opening up about mental health in this country? Is it a case that you just got lucky? No, absolutely. There definitely is, <clears throat> excuse me, there definitely is a stigma, absolutely. Um, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of times in my life where I, I really, I really realised that. Um, as I say, like, one of the first things I talked about in the book was um, when I was about 12 or 13, I had a, a very difficult battle um, with anorexia. Mm-hmm. In the book, I go into, I suppose, how that feels for the individual, and, and I try and describe it for people, especially for families of those who may be suffering, just to help them sort of make sense of it. But what I remember from that time was I was in counselling for about a year, and the, count, the help I got was, was uh, brilliant. But what I remember was I was about 13, and I used to go to counselling once a week. Mm-hmm. And I would always tell friends of mine that I was going to the dentist or a doctor. I would never tell them yeah. where I was going. So that, that set a seed in my brain from a very mm-hmm. young age that, Mental health is a very hush-hush topic that we, you know, we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And it was only many years, that's something that stayed with me throughout my teens. And I always said to myself, oh, well, I'm not, you know, say 15, 16, 17, I said, right, I'm not going to tell anyone about my past because they might look at me differently or, mm-hmm. you know, think, think differently of me. It was when, only when I got to about 19 and I had my battle with depression when I realized, no, these are things we have to talk about. And particularly when, when friends of mine, as they opened up, they would tell me something and then they would say, God, I haven't spoken about that in years. And that's mm-hmm. when I realized mm-hmm. that, particularly for, for everyone, but particularly for young men, 
the stigma leaves us, you know, taking our problems to our grave. And I realise that that's no life to live. And it, it eats us up and it, it overwhelms us when we, when we bottle all these things up. So definitely, yeah, of course, there is a, a stigma, definitely. Um, back to the the anorexia um, thing that yes. you, you experienced. Uh, I don't want to focus on it completely because I know there's, you know, you've, you've come away from that and so on. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? I suppose there is... Would I be right in saying there's a perception, I suppose, from people that that is something not suffered as much by uh, males? Um, so can you talk to us about that and, and how long or how did you eventually get out of that place that you were in with regard to anorexia? Of course, you know, definitely uh, it would be more, more common um, in females, but it, it's, uh, it's certainly not unheard of um, in males as well. Mm-hmm. So what happened to me was, um, as a young fella, I, I loved football and I was, I was big into fitness and I would have done a lot of running and all that sort of thing. And, I had this idea in my head that, you know, if I can be the fittest and fastest man on the team, then, you know, I'll be the best player. That was my idea. So at 11 and 12, you know, I was, this was different to the average uh, young boy that I was eating very well and I was doing a lot of running and all this sort of thing. And I was very health conscious. And um, I suppose the way I describe it in the book is the anorexia took advantage of my fitness goals to, I suppose, as I describe anorexia, something that's very controlling. Right. So I suppose my relationship with food changed. I began to eat a lot less and run a lot more. And over a very rapid time period, say when I was like the summer between uh, primary school and secondary school, I lost a lot of weight very fast. Mm-hmm. And it was a very quick um, downhill spiral. But luckily for me, it was also a very quick uh, recovery. And, uh, you know, for me, what happened was I was in counseling for about six weeks. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment where I realized that I was very badly underweight. I was about five foot three, but I was only about five stone. And I realised that if I didn't put on weight and get back to my healthier self, I would never step on a football field again. And that was my click of the finger moment that drove me towards um, my recovery. So mm-hmm. I was in counselling for about <clears throat> for about a year, and then for another year after that, I, I suppose had a I had to really battle my relation with food. So by the time I got to fourteen, I was pretty much um, out the gap. You could say I would okay. overcome it then. Okay, that's positive. And then, unfortunately, um, as you write in the book, depression hits. And t- yeah, talk to indeed. us a little bit about that and, and, and where you got to in that space and, and, and again, how you sort of progressed through it, although you've all, obviously all referred already to speaking out and speaking to people and friends about it. But talk to us about that moment. Of course. So, so it, it would have been, it would have been, say, at the end of my first year in college, I, I was around 19. And I had gone through a breakup at the time and so that would have been one factor, but it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been all of it. Um, I suppose I realised that there was a lot of things from my past I suppose I hadn't dealt with. And I, I think that's a factor in a lot of people. We, we go through things and, as I say, we don't talk about them, so we don't properly deal with them. And I, one thing I say in the book is that in order to overcome our problems, we have, to, we have to acknowledge them. And part of that is accepting them. I find that accepting our problems is the first step um, to overcoming them. Mm-hmm. So I had this realisation that there was so many problems from my past I hadn't dealt with. One of them was... Um, after my anorexia, being a lot smaller than everyone else, I was bullied and picked on quite a lot. And that's something that, unbeknownst to myself, stayed with me for quite some time. So mm-hmm. I suppose I had this, this realisation that there was so much I hadn't dealt with. And that, that drove me into this was a bad place. And that's what made me open up and said, you know what, well, I have to talk about these, these things. I have to get them off my chest. And that's my only way I'm going to recover. Mm-hmm. But for, for my, my battle with depression was very much a, a period of, and it, 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 lockdown reminds me of it, feeling of being isolated, a feeling of being alone, you know, and a feeling that you know, the reality that you're in is never going to change. And that's a message I want to spread to people who might suffer depression and also during these times that we may feel isolated and alone now, but this will pass. And of course, as I say, the best way to, you know, to help ourselves in this time is pick up the phone and talk. As, as 
as cliche as it may sound, I do believe that talking can change lives because talking certainly did change mine. That's what I truly believe. Like we've already had texts in and uh, it's, it's, it's one of those issues at the moment that is just... It really sort of uh, sets a spark in people um, in relation to, uh, some people see it, a problem with our mental health service and and, and maybe going forward. Does that concern you at the moment uh, when you look at the news uh, in relation to the amount of people who could potentially be suffering now and and, and well into the future with regard to what's going on now, Connor? It it, it is concerning, definitely. And it it does go to show that you know, like, of course, the lack of human contact now, you know, not seeing people, you know, it does cause a problem. But it does go to show that human contact and human company really does help our mental health. And one thing I try and say in the book is that I try and um, use out of the, as I call it, the power of relatability. You know, when people realize that, you know, they're not alone in their situation, that we're all in the one boat, mm-hmm. that is a, that's a huge help. And I find even now during lockdown, if I ring a family member, if I ring a friend, I'm reminded that, okay, I'm here, you know, on my own or whatever but so are so many others. And that sort of relaxes me and I realise, well, we're all in this boat together. And that's, I suppose, the message I try and give to everyone is, you know, we really are going through this as one. So that's, you know, it's, it is a hard time for our mental health, but it is a time where I think we need to just, we need to stand together as people, definitely. Okay, so that would be your message today then, Connor. Realise that, and, and, and again, I, I, I give the platform to you, but I, to surmise in what you're saying there, if I'm right, is that if someone is listening today who is suffering, uh, who is listening to this uh, in great detail, you realise, or you, you reckon that they should think to themselves that they are not alone, there's lots of people in the same boat, and to open up and to try talk about it. Is that right? Of course, yeah, of course, of course. As I said, pick up the phone, of course. That, that's, that's, that's the best message. All right. Well, listen, Connor. I really appreciate you coming on today. I think you're fantastic. Um, I Thank look you. forward to, to, to reading through the book as well. Where can people get it, Connor? It's available on Amazon, as I say. It's called Normal. It's available in uh, ebook and, and paperback on, on Amazon. Good stuff. Okay, Connor Nolan, good luck with the book, as they say, and, uh, and best of luck. Okay, thanks a million, Connor. Uh, a nice positive story, Connor, saying that uh, he has uh, battled depression and anorexia and so on. He came out the other side of the anorexia and obviously always battling uh, with mental health, as we all are. And uh, that's an interesting book to have a look at. And he's trying to help other people um, deal with the scenario he has found himself in. Uh, so go check it out on Amazon and an ebook, as he says. Uh, it's called Normal and it is by Connor Nolan.